0: Starting God's Word this morning to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2. We'll consider the Heideberg Catechism, Lord's Day 28, this evening, in connection with the preparatory service for the Lord's Supper next week, Sunday. So, this morning, our text will be Ephesians 2, verses 19 through 22. I will not reread those verses, so I ask that you pay special attention. To the last four verses of Ephesians chapter 2. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, for it in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation. In times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together together made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Wherefore remember that ye, being in time past, Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For He is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in His flesh the enmity even, Law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you, which were afar off, and to them that were nigh. For through him We both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth, into an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Thus as far as we read God's holy and inspired words. May God add His blessing upon the reading of His holy Scriptures. Beloved congregation in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, and inspiring the writers of the New Testament, uses several different figures to help us understand the reality of the church. We who are the members of the church do well regularly to meditate upon these figures, which provide comfort and consolation to us for as long as we belong to the church militant. One figure that the Holy Spirit uses to describe the church as she is found on this earth is the figure of the bride. Jesus Christ is the bridegroom, and we who are the church are married unto Christ as his bride. This figure portrays for us the love, the tender love that Jesus has for the church. The affection that is had between Christ and we who are the members of the church. And as well shows the care that Jesus has for the church. That as our husband, he cares for and provides for us. Another figure that we do well to recall that the Spirit uses to describe the church is That of the body as the body stands in relation to the head. Jesus Christ is the head of the church and we who are the members of the church are the body. And this figure helps us recall to mind the fact that there's much diversity in the church. Many different members that make up that one body. As well this figure shows unto us That Jesus Christ has authority over us. He's our head. Just as the head rules over the body, so Christ to us. But then the third figure that the Spirit uses to describe the church. As the church stands in relationship to Jesus Christ, is the figure of a building. Or a home that is being built up by God Himself. Anyone who has the least level of familiarity with construction understands that there's a certain order in which a home is built. You start at the foundation, digging out the ground, laying the foundation. You build up the walls. You put the roof on the home, you finish out the interior of the home. And then after the home is completed, then at last, you enter the home and you live there. It's your habitation. That same progress, same development in building a home, is taught to us in the Word of God in Ephesians 2. Especially verses 20 through 22. The 20th verse speaks of the foundation, built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. The 21st verse speaks of the construction, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth into an holy temple in the Lord. And then verse 22. Speaks of moving in and dwelling in that home. In whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Let's consider then a building fitly framed. First, we'll consider her foundation. Second, her construction. Third, her habitation The text describes for us the foundation of the church. In verse 20, you who are fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Every carpenter and most every homeowner understands the importance of having a good foundation. You want the foundation to be as sturdy as reasonably possible. If the foundation should fail, then it presents all sorts of problems for the home that is constructed upon that foundation. Could be relatively minor problems in the home, going all the way up to a total collapse of the home if the foundation fails. If the foundation is uneven, then the house goes out of square. Then door frames, which previously were straight, begin to tilt. It's hard to close doors. You have to shove the doors shut because the doors are going out of square. Cracks show up in the drywall of the home. And then if the foundation fails completely, then Jesus Christ describes for us in the well-known figure of what happens to that home. The children know of the two homes, one built on the foundation of sand, the other built on the foundation of rock. The storms came and the wind blew against these two homes and great was the fall of the home that was built upon the sand. And So we know the importance of a good foundation For the physical homes. That we live in. What then. Will serve as the foundation. Of the church. Who is worthy. To be your foundation. Who is strong enough. To resist. All of the forces. That would beat. Against the church. What is strong enough to resist cracking, splitting, tilting of that foundation? The text tells us what is the foundation in this 20th verse. The church is built upon the foundation of the apostles. And the prophets. And the text speaks here of the foundation. That's the foundation of the apostles and prophets. It does not mean that the foundation is. The apostles and the prophets. That's Roman Catholicism. That the church is built upon. The apostles and the prophets. Catholics contending that the church is built upon. The unbroken apostolic line going all the way back to Peter. But that's not the intention here of the Holy Spirit as He speaks of the church that's built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Rather, the Spirit is describing for us where this foundation comes from. It's the foundation that comes from and through the labors of the apostles and The prophets. So when we understand then something of. What the apostles and the prophets did. Then that gives unto us the ability to understand what the foundation is. What is it that the apostles and the prophets did? They taught. They revealed. Unto the people of God. The mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. The next chapter. Ephesians chapter 3 shows that clearly unto us. Ephesians 3, verses 4 and 5, whereby when ye read, ye may understand my, Paul's, knowledge and the mystery of Christ, which, mystery, in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men as it is now revealed unto His holy apostles and prophets By the Spirit. Apostles were those who were commissioned. Those who were sent out by Jesus Christ as king of the church. Who were given a particular field of labor. Where they were to bring the word of God. The calling to repent and believe in Jesus Christ. Apostles not sent by the will of man or the will of men. But sent by Jesus Christ. According to Galatians 1 verse 1. Prophets. A word that means to bubble or boil over. Which indicates what happens in a prophet. The prophet is so filled with the knowledge of Jehovah God. And has such zeal for that knowledge. That he cannot contain his enthusiasm for that word of God. But just as the boiling pot of water on the stove. Comes over the edges and bursts forth, so the prophet bubbles or boils over with the Word of God. And so it is that God, in His infinite wisdom, was pleased to use the apostles and the prophets to lay down the foundation of truth in the early New Testament church. That is the foundation of the church. It is the truths which are contained in the Holy Scriptures which were made known by the apostles and the prophets unto the church. Paul testifies in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 10, that he laid this foundation. According to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. The apostles were used by God to lay the foundational truths of his church. Many different aspects of that one foundation. They taught the foundational truth that God is the almighty and the transcendent God. The one who rules over all things in heaven above and in earth beneath. They taught the foundational truth of the Holy Trinity. God is three in one. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They taught the foundational truth of the divinity of Christ. He was with God in the beginning. He is the Word of God by which the heavens and the earth were created. He is the One who, as God, is omnipotent. And even the wind and the seas obey Him. The apostles and the prophets laid down the foundational truth, not just of the divinity of Christ, but also the humanity of Christ. He was flesh of our flesh and bone of our bones. They taught the reality of Jesus Christ having a human nature. A real human nature who could be tempted even as we are tempted. Who suffered all his life long. And then whose blessed body was hanged upon that cross. They taught the foundational truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead on the third day. God would not permit His Holy One to remain in the grave, but because Jesus Christ had satisfied the requirements of the Father, He raised up His only begotten Son, and then exalted Him to heaven, and Jesus Christ now sits enthroned at God's right hand. They laid the foundational truth of the Holy Spirit Who proceeds from the Father and from the Son, who is the promised Comforter, who spreads abroad the love of Jehovah God in our hearts. Such is the foundation of God's church, precious heritage of the truths that were revealed. By the apostles and the prophets. Then the text describes for us further this foundation. See there's a cornerstone in it. Built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. In a sense, Jesus Christ may be described not just as the cornerstone of the foundation, but Jesus Christ may be described as being the entirety of the foundation. The Apostle Paul speaks that way in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 11. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. There would be no foundation apart from Christ. Jesus Christ is the beginning, even as the foundation is the beginning of the construction process. Jesus Christ is the basis. There is no other basis on which the church is built up. Just as the foundation is the basis of the home. But this verse, Ephesians 2 verse 20, does not speak generally of Jesus Christ being the entirety of the foundation. But it speaks specifically of Jesus Christ being one aspect of the foundation. Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. The cornerstone was a vital part of the foundation. It was the very first stone that would be laid in the construction process. And So when the carpenters would lay that cornerstone, they had to anticipate what the whole rest of the foundation and what the rest of the entire home would look like, how large it would be, what orientation that home would be set at, as they laid that very first cornerstone. They had to have in mind when laying that cornerstone, how much weight would be pressing down upon the foundation. They had to know what direction the home would be set. They had to have some sense of how large that foundation would be. They had to bear in mind not just forces downward, the weight of gravity, as it would press down upon that cornerstone, but they also had to have in mind what upward forces that stone would have to resist as the frost would create a heave that would push that cornerstone up. And so the wise master builder, having in mind the conception, the idea of what the whole home would look like, would very carefully lay this cornerstone as the starting block of laying the foundation of that home. It could well have been that that cornerstone would have been a large and even a prominent stone larger than the rest of the stones of that foundation, and then only after having carefully laid that cornerstone, then He would go out and lay the rest of the foundation. Who Then is the cornerstone of the church of Jesus. See, God has in mind, already what the church needs. He knows the size of the church. He knows how large the church will grow. He knows what forces will be acting upon the church, whether pressure downward or pressure upward, or wind that would beat against the church. God knows and God knew exactly what the church needed and in the wisdom of God he determined that Christ would be the chief cornerstone of his church. The most prominent one the one in whom the glory of the church is found. The first stone laid And all the other members of the church as lively stones are built upon Jesus Christ. So let us then love the cornerstone of the church. We must not as members of the New Testament church seek to lay again the church's Foundation it can be easy for us, especially when we go through times of trial and hardship, to become critical of the church, suspicious of the other members of the church, We become frustrated and discouraged, we can see the sins and the weaknesses of others. Or the sins and weaknesses of the church as a whole. And become nigh unto disgusted. With all of the sins and all of the weaknesses. That are found in the church. Then the devil would have us go one step further and think. Not only are there sins and weaknesses in the church. But the church is rotten to her very core. And he would have that person take out the jackhammer and start trying to destroy even the footings, the foundation of the church. This is not to say that the church is perfect. She is far from perfection. This is to say, let us not criticize the foundation of the church. Let us not seek to lay another foundation besides the foundation that was laid by the apostles and the prophets. Let us not have itching ears which desire to hear some other gospel than the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Let us know this foundation. How many problems do not arise in the church, the home, the school, because of ignorance of the foundational truths set by the Apostle's And the prophets. John seventeen verse three. This is life eternal, they may know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. The one who is inclined to do away with the foundation and lay a different foundation is usually the one who is ignorant. Of the foundation. Let us be students of the Word of God, studying His revelation unto us. It is upon this foundation that God builds up, constructs the church. Verse 21 In whom all the building fitly framed together, groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. All of the building, the Apostle Paul speaks of here, when he speaks of all the building, he is not speaking of all the different buildings being fit together. It's one building. But when he speaks of all of the building, he is speaking of all of the different aspects or components Of that one building. Many different materials that are needed to make up one building. You need the lumber, the two by fours. You need nails. You need siding. You need drywall. You need glue. All the different pieces that make up a home. At first when the construction of a home begins and All of the building, that is all of the pieces of the building, are not yet assembled. You cannot even tell that this is going to be a home. Children drive by with mom and dad in the vehicle, driving past a construction site, and they see the piles of material sitting by that foundation. And the children ask mom and dad, what is this? What are all of these pieces laying on the ground here? And then mom and dad must explain that there is going to be a home that is constructed here. It does not look like a home yet, but wait patiently. And as the walls go up and as the roof is put together, as all of the building is fitly framed together, it will become more and more evident even to the child, yes, this is a home. Well, so it is in the church of Christ. When the church of Jesus Christ is viewed naturally with all of the building, that is, all of the different pieces that make up the church, she is not very recognizable as one building. All of the building. What does all of the building consist of? What's you? Me? All of God's people. All of the building consists of the church Catholic. With all of her diversity. With all of the differing gifts, abilities, strengths, and weaknesses. That are found within the people of God. How is it possible that all of these people with all of their differences are going to fit together as a building fitly framed? How are you going to take rich and poor, Jew and Gentile, male and female, and unite them all together as one holy temple of the Lord? I enjoy as a hobby on the side doing some Woodworking. I have found for myself one of the most difficult aspects of woodworking is the joinery. How do you take two boards and join them together, especially if you're using traditional methods of woodworking? If it's difficult to take two boards and join them together, how much more difficult is it to take the church? with all of her diversity, and unite the church together as one. And You know, there's not just natural differences between the members of the church. It's not just that some are rich and some are poor. Some are white and some are black. You know what makes the unity of the church even more difficult. Humanly speaking, impossible. Sin. It's Because by nature we don't even want to be united. Fitly framed as one holy temple of the Lord. Because of pride. Found within every one of your hearts and mine as well, it's our ego that gets in the way. How is it possible for the church to be fitly framed together? The text teaches us how the church is built together. 20th verse we return to we are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. That's how God takes the church Jew and Gentile rich and poor male and female and God draws them all together. It's on the foundation of the apostles and The prophets. And that foundation, as we saw in the first point, is the truths of God's Word. That's how God binds His church together, frames them together so that they constitute one holy temple. It's by the proclamation of truth. Of old, it was the apostles and the prophets revealed unto God's people the mysteries of Jesus Christ. And as the saints in the early New Testament church heard those mysteries proclaimed unto them, they came to know Jesus Christ, love Jesus Christ, and follow Jesus Christ. And as it was of old, so it continues throughout the whole New Testament church, God is pleased to use the proclamation of truth as the power by which He builds up His church and unites His church together as one building, fitly framed together, that grows unto an holy temple of the Lord. You see, there's power in that foundation. There's power in the Word of God as it goes forth, proclaimed by the teachers and the ministers of the Word. The Word of God goes forth and it does not it will not return unto Him void. For some, as the Word of God goes forth, as they hear of the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, that Word of God is a savor of life unto life. That Word of God is used to convict of their sins. That Word of God is used to humble them so that they cry out unto Jehovah for deliverance. That Word of God is used to comfort them with the knowledge of their only Mediator, who is Jesus Christ. That Word of God is used to teach them then how they ought to order their lives as they express unto God the gratitude for His gracious deliverance of them through Jesus Christ. That's the power of the preaching of the Word as it draws those who are the people of God closer And closer together. But then conversely. The power of the word of God. Also is this. It is the savor of death. Unto death. For those who are not. God's children. The word of God has this power. As it is proclaimed. It hardens. It closes. The door of the heart until at last it drives out, away from the church institute upon this earth, those who do not belong to the building. All the building is fitly framed by God. In the deepest sense, all of the building consists of those who are chosen by God. All of the elect, from all of the nations of the earth, as they hear of the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, God uses that preaching to cause them to grow. Always, God builds up His church. This means that the church is changing. Always changing. As God builds up the walls of Zion. Sometimes this change is difficult. Sometimes the change hurts. The preaching of the Word. Drives away from the church on this earth, loved ones, and family members. Sometimes it hurts us as it convicts us and our souls of our own sins and our sinful nature. But always God is building, building, building. His church. He builds the church until at last the church is inhabited. Verse 22, In whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Remarkable statement that Paul makes here speaking of the church, and all the different members of the church, speaking of those who earlier were strangers and foreigners, reference to the Gentiles, but who now are made fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. And so we would expect then that when Paul speaks of inhabiting this home, that he would say that the ones who are blessed and privileged to inhabit this home are you and me. But he doesn't. Who is the one who inhabits this home? It's God. In whom ye also are builded together for inhabitation Of God. What a thought. That God builds up. The walls of the church. For his own. Habitation. Home. Residence. A primary. Residence. It's not as if God. Needs. The habitation. Of the church. It's not as if God depends upon you or me. It's not as if previously God was homeless, and then he found the church and thought, "Aha, this would be a good place for me to live. God already has a home, as heaven. The psalmist declares that if God would hungry grow, He would not tell us. For the heavens and the earth and all that is therein already belongs unto God. He needs nothing outside of himself. And yet, the wonder of Jehovah God is that he condescends to the church of this earth and he dwells in the church as his habitation. How personal is the language that the Apostle Paul uses here. You, you also are builded together for an habitation of God. He does not speak generally of the truth that the church is built up as the habitation of God, but he speaks specifically to you, who are the children of God, you, who were strangers and foreigners by nature, you who were children of darkness and who delighted in darkness and who walked in ways of stubborn disobedience unto God, you who were without God, without Christ, without hope in this world, you who have been called out of darkness and into God's marvelous light, you, who have been anointed with the Spirit of Jesus Christ, who have tasted of the goodness of Jehovah, you, who have had your sins washed with the blood of the Lamb of God, You are built together as an habitation of God through the Holy Spirit. All praise be to God. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father and our God in heaven, we thank Thee for Thy Word. We thank Thee for the instruction contained therein. We thank Thee that Thou hast set us apart. Though of ourselves we are no different than the children of the world, yet Thou hast chosen us, didst set Thy love upon us, and dost preserve us as members of Thy church. That thou receive our worship for Jesus' sake. We pray this. Amen.